0: We will start the Dhamma talk with the Namo tasa. <laughs> Namatasa Badawató Sama Sambodasa Nam To talk about things as they are, or things are as they are. Well, this seems pretty obvious, but how often do we really see things as they truly are? Generally, people are caught up in seeing things in a very distorted and perverted way but then actually they are not aware that they do not see the real thing. Quite on the contrary, they assume that what they see, what they perceive, is the real thing. And how often do we find ourselves changing things because we do not like the way they are? or because we, um, they don't fit with our likes and references. So to begin with, let me tell you the story of the fisherman's daughter and the monk. When this fisherman's daughter had come of age, The parents had in mind a certain young man from the village um, to marry her with him. But actually the daughter had already fallen in love with another young man from the village. And so they secretly met each other and as as a result of that she got pregnant. And when she no longer could hide her pregnancies. Um, not daring to tell that she had an affair with this other young man, so then she told her parents that the father of the child was the monk from the nearby monastery. And so then, after a while of, um, after a while she had given birth to her child. Then the father took the child went down to the monastery, knocked at the door, and so the monk came and opened. And all the father said was, This is your child. It's your duty to bring up this child and with that handing him over the child. And the monk just said, All right. And so the fisherman's daughter, her mind was not at peace because she had lied and uh, told that this monk was the father although it was not true and so her mind became more and more tormented by the fact that she had told this lie and after a few years she could not bear it any longer and so she went to her parents and told them that you had been lying and that the real father of that child was such and such young man from the village and so when the father heard that he went out to the monastery knocked at the door the monk came and opened and he said you are not the father of this child give it back to me Monk gave it back to Gave the child back to him and said, "All right." So, of course, there would be many uh, issues to look at at this story, but we want to leave aside all the rest. So, if we do not resist or if we do not oppose what is happening right now, then It does not create a problem, but instead we have something to deal with, or something to work with. However if we oppose the flow of things, or if there is resistance to what is happening, then the situation, then the object becomes a problem, and then there is struggle. Things are as they are. In the moment of their arising, we actually cannot have them different. They are just the way they are. And so, how then can we be with things as they are? Basically, it's with mindfulness. It's with awareness. So the practice of mindfulness or awareness allows to be with things as they are. And so this happens with an attitude of openness and acceptance. When there is an openness and when there is acceptance, then we are willing to deal with whatever is happening right now then we don't make a fuss about the fact that that it is not the way we like it or that it is not the way we would prefer it. So then there is this willingness to deal with whatever uh, whatever comes up whatever object whatever situation and so then this willingness, this acceptance is independent of our wishes or preferences. Whatever we experience at the six sense doors are manifestations of Dhammas. And the six sense doors are the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body and the mind. So whatever object enters through any of these six sense doors are Dhammas, phenomena. Dhamma has several meanings. It originally <coughs> meant the law of nature or just phenomena, existing things. Basically, Everything that exists is a phenomenon, so it is a Dhamma. So there is nothing excluded. And the Buddha taught us to see and understand Dhammas as Dhammas, to see them as they really are, free from our prejudices or ideas or opinions. The Buddha did did not teach us um, to hang on to our ideas or to cling to our opinions. (coughs) He also didn't teach us to indulge in philosophical speculations. So we should not get entangled uh, in our opinions or views. But actually, we should try to get free from all these views, opinions, or uh, speculations. At the time of the Buddha, the caste um, system was uh, very dominant, and so the Brahmins were the highest caste. And they said of themselves that the Brahmins were actually born from the mouth of the Brahma. And that uh, gave them uh, a reason to say why they were superior to other people, other people not being born from the mouth of the Brahma. And so at one stage. The Buddha made a very simple statement saying that uh, Brahmin wives were also getting pregnant and giving birth to their children as any other women did. So simply dismantling this strongly held view or opinion. So, if one could very clearly see things as they are, then that would lift the veil that actually prevents us from seeing very clearly. This veil that prevents us from seeing clearly or this veil that distorts our uh, perception is nothing other than the so-called defilements in Pali they are called Kilesa so Kilesas are mental states like greed, anger, jealousy wanting, frustration and so on there are many of them and in Burma listening to Burmese Dhamma talks Very often I hear the Sayados mentioning the 1500 Kilesas, but actually I have never seen a list of these 1500 Kilesas. And in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, they actually speak of 84,000 Kilesas, (laughs) or they call them Mm -hmm. afflictive emotions. So whether it's 1,500 or 84,000, there are many of them. So when these chilesas are compared to a whale that distorts our clear seeing of things, then sometimes I think it's not only a whale, but a one meter thick concrete wall. So, when it is said that we should see things as they truly are, what will we then discover? And as we have seen yesterday, the word vipassana gives us the clue. Vipassana meaning seeing clearly. The three general characteristics of phenomena. So, seeing clearly their impermanent, fleeting, changing nature, to see clearly their unsatisfactory nature, the fact that they never can give us real and lasting satisfaction, and the non self nature, or the fact that we do not have an absolute control over things. And these three general characteristics are called Anicca, Dukkha, and Anatta. Three party terms that um, we will encounter uh, frequently, they are quite important. So vipassana means meaning seeing clearly the general characteristics of phenomena. And so when we engage in vipassana, meditation, then we try to develop this uh, quality of the mind through uh, the help of mindfulness to, to see these characteristics, to see their true nature. And when we speak of meditation, then people usually immediately have, um, get a mental image of themselves or maybe somebody else sitting quietly somewhere. Uh, sometimes I'm seeing them sitting in the cross-legged posture, hands in their laps, eyes closed. So that's kind of the general notion of meditation so then they basically think of sitting in a certain posture Uh, this is meditation but as we know meditation is not limited to sitting in a certain posture in a certain place but we also practice walking meditation we also can Uh, be mindful of phenomena in the walking and we also can practice uh, in engaging in other activities such as getting up, having a meal, taking a shower and so on. Because also during this time we can establish mindfulness, awareness in order to be present with what we are doing in order to see what these movements or sensations or different objects arising at the time are all about. So meditation is not so much restricted to a certain posture or location. Or time of the day, but rather it is an inner attitude. It's like do we want to meet each moment with mindfulness and awareness, or are we willing to experience each experience as it happens Are we willing to accept things as they are or are we working towards moving away from ideas, views and opinions in order to come to an undistorted view of phenomena or it can be the attitude of like are we really intent to train our heart and mind to lessen our defilements and develop wholesome, good and beneficial qualities. <coughs> so with Vipassana with, with meditation we have a helpful tool in order to move in that direction. And as we have seen, Vipassana meditation differs from Samatha meditation, where the aim is to to calm the mind and to establish a deeply concentrated state of mind. And with that, happiness and bliss arises. But no insights, no understanding, no wisdom will arise through that practice. In Vipassana, as we have seen, we do not limit ourselves to one object, but the whole range of phenomena can become the object of our meditation. So the objects are changing all the time. We do not fix our mind on a certain object. We don't have, or we shouldn't have, any preferences for Certain objects. We have a so called primary object which we can uh, start with at the beginning of our sitting or walking and to which we can return at any time when there is no other distinct object arising in body and mind. And so in Vipassana meditation. Whatever uh, arises in the body and mind is no distraction to our meditation but we transform that object into the object of our meditation whereas in Samatha meditation where we only want to focus on one single object anything else that arises is a distraction and so we abandon it and pull the mind back this one object. So if you think of distractions in Vipassana meditation, then be careful about your attitude. So in Vipassana meditation, what we usually would call distraction, we simply uh, transform it into our object of meditation, and when we make it the object of our awareness, then We can come to see it more clearly, to understand it better, so insights can arise and wisdom can develop. And if we keep our mindfulness constant throughout the day in all the three aspects of the practice in sitting, in walking, and the awareness of the daily activities then insights and understanding can arise at any time and in any of these three aspects so it's not that one can only uh, gain insights and understanding in the sitting in the verses of the Terigatas and Teragatas we find many examples of nuns and monks who did not attain final liberation in the sitting posture, but while mindfully observing uh, other activities. So just to give you a couple of examples. There was a nun called Chitta. She had ordained as a nun when she was quite young, and She strived her whole life, but she had no breakthrough. And already as an old and quite frail nun, one day she climbed up to Vulture Peak, a mountain outside of the town of Ajagaha. And due to her old age, when she finally reached the peak, she was quite tired and exhausted and so to take some rest she was leaning against a rock but still being mindful and for her it was in that moment that the veil was torn and she became fully liberated another nun uh, was called Siha She also ordained in her younger years and after her ordination she started to practice meditation, Vipassana meditation but all the time she was tormented by thoughts of lust and craving. She did her best. She tried to continue with her practice, to be patient with it, to note it, to observe it, but after seven years of practice in her, uh, you not getting anywhere, finally she could not stand it anymore and she was so much downhearted and depressed that one day she took a rope and went into the forest and then she she chose one tree and so one end of the rope she tied to a branch and at the other end of the rope she made a loop and then she put the loop around her neck but it was in that moment that her mind was freed not only from her lust and craving but from all the tormenting defilements and it was in that moment that she became fully liberated. So when we are trying to be mindful of whatever arises in our body and mind, when we are trying to be where to be aware of things as they truly are, then These different objects or phenomena that come into our awareness can basically be divided into four groups so there are experiences in the body or related to the body that's the first group and then the second group is the experiences of feelings and feelings that refers just to the um, uh, quality of the experience, either experience as pleasant, or unpleasant, or neutral. Then the third group is our experiences of the state of mind. And the fourth group is are the experiences of mind objects. So these four groups, or four categories, are also known as the four foundations of mindfulness. So before going into more detail of these four groups, of these four foundations of mindfulness, I want to say a few things about mindfulness. As I mentioned last night, mindfulness is a very important factor and especially in the practice of Vipassana meditation it's one of the basic factors that we need to develop in order to achieve our aim. Mindfulness is called Sati in Pali. and Generally we can say Sati or mindfulness is this quality of the mind to be present this quality to be in the here and now and when it is present when there is mindfulness present in the mind then it does not lose sight of the object so whatever object Uh, is observed whatever is the object of our awareness then with awareness, with mindfulness present it will not lose the object out of sight but always have it inside and so that allows to really come face to face with the object and only when the mind is face to face with the object only then can we really clearly see the object or experience it, know what it is. A Vietnamese monk who lived in France and who had been a disciple of Mahasi Sayadaw, he defined mindfulness in the following way, and. This is in French. Uh, He defined it as prendre soin du présent, which means in English to take care of the moment. So it's this caring attitude for just this moment and then for the next moment and the next moment and the next moment. it's this quality of, or we can call it the clear and one-pointed awareness of what is happening in us and around us from moment to moment so with this mindfulness is not thinking about Things. It's not analyzing uh, objects. It's not reflecting about them. It's also not looking for causes. Why did these <coughs> objects arise? It's also not trying to see connections uh, to other things. It's not speculating about what is happening. It's not interpreting what is happening. But it's this quality of simply being aware or present to be open to see what is happening right here and now <coughs> in this moment and then the same uh, open uh, caring uh, attitude for the next moment and the next moment so now let's go to these four groups that I just mentioned So first of all, experiences in regard uh, to the body. So when we are mindful of our body, we can experience different things. (coughs) So that can be uh, sensations of heat, or cold, or hardness, softness, sometimes we experience tension, sometimes observing movements or vibrations. So these are the experiences uh, that we can be mindful of in regards to the body. The body as well as any other material things are basically made up of the so-called four elements the four primary elements and these four elements are the earth element the water element the fire element and the air or wind element and when we speak of these four elements we actually do not mean real earth Or real fire, real water, real air. But uh, these elements stand for certain qualities that can be found in earth, water, fire, and wind. So in the earth, we have the qualities of hardness or softness. In the water, we have the qualities of fluidity, flowing, and also cohesion. Then in the fire, we have the qualities of heat and also cold. So we also could call it the temperature element. And in the air element, we have the qualities of movement, of vibrations, motion. And also support. So when I said experiences in regard to our body, we feel heat, we feel cold, we feel movement, we feel vibrations and so on. So this is like the elements manifesting their qualities. And if we pay closer attention these experiences of heat or cold or tension or vibration or movement then when our mindfulness becomes deeper concentration uh, better then we can start to see them in quite a different way like we have a certain idea what a movement is or we have a certain idea what tension is like, but if we can drop our idea about it and just plunge into the direct experience of movement or heat, then uh, we can discover many interesting things, and so then we come to see that our notion of heat or movement uh, does not really fit with reality just to give you an example many many years ago there was a foreign meditator inside of Ujjanaka's meditation center in Burma in the city center and he had been engaged in meditation for quite some time already and in his walking meditation he would observe the movement of his feet as instructed by Zayadal observing the lifting movement, pushing movement, dropping movement and so on and all the time he had experienced this movement as kind of a smooth and flowing movement the lifting was a smooth and flowing movement pushing was smooth and flowing dropping was smooth and flowing and that fit very well with his idea of what he thought movement was Like even before he started to meditate movement was something that somehow starts and then smoothly flows and comes to an end so that was his idea of what movement was and then one day as he was practicing walking meditation slowly and carefully observing each of these movements these movements started to get a bit jerky they weren't as smooth and flowing as he had experienced them before and so as they started to become a bit jerky he thought that something was going wrong or that he did something uh, wrong and so with a lot of effort he tried to get it right again, tried to get it smoothly and flowing again. But the more, he tr- the more he tried, the jerkier the movements got. And by the evening, he was quite frustrated and downhearted. And he thought, now my meditation practice is really falling apart. And what is happening here? Uh, am I getting crazy? <laughs> Maybe it's better uh, that I leave and go home before I become insane. And so, by the next day, he had decided that he was going to leave. And so, he went to Zaido Ujanaka and told him that uh, he had decided to leave and go back. And Zaido asked, "Why? Or what had happened?" And so then he um, related the experience that he had the day before saying that the movement started to fall apart and that he started to feel this jerky movement that a movement was no longer uh, smooth and flowing but uh, consisted of several smaller uh, movements and so saying that uh, his meditation uh, was not going into the right direction, and uh, before he would get uh, crazy, he rather would leave and go back home. And Zaid Janaka looked at him and said, no, 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 no need to go home. You know, you're actually not getting crazy, but you're actually recovering from craziness. So what this meditator thought to be a reality namely a movement is something that flows and flows smoothly that was in fact just a distorted perception uh, of the movement. But because this was all he knew he took that for reality firmly believing that his understanding was the true nature of movement. So the second group <coughs> is the mindfulness in regard to experiences of feelings. And as I just mentioned, when we talk of feelings in the Buddhist context, we only refer to this quality of an experience either being pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. The Pali word for feeling is Vedana. So the term Vedana has this very specific meaning. Because each experience that we have in the body or in the mind is accompanied by one of these three feelings. It's not possible to have any experience without uh, any feeling. So each experience in our body or mind is either experienced as pleasant or then as unpleasant or something in between. Neither pleasant nor unpleasant. So we call it neutral. And to be aware of this feeling or we also can call it the effective quality of, a, of an experience is very important because in an unenlightened person usually a pleasant feeling gives immediately rise to wanting to craving to holding on attachment unpleasant feelings on the other hand is immediately rise to aversion not wanting repression oppression, wanting to get rid of it. And neutral feelings, they usually lead to indifference, or there is simply no interest in what is going on. So it's important that we also pay attention to this aspect. And sometimes these feelings become quite strong and apparent, an experience can feel extremely pleasant, pleasurable. So, if that's the case, then we can take this pleasantness of the experience as the object of our meditation and are aware of this pleasantness, noting it as pleasant, pleasant, pleasant. Sometimes an experience is um, obviously very unpleasant and so then we can make this unpleasant aspect of the experience uh, to the object of our uh, meditation observe it as unpleasant 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 (coughs) neutral feelings are a bit more difficult to distinguish and so if it becomes really obvious then we could make the neutral feeling to the object of our meditation and so when we observe these feelings we will come to see that somehow they appear they come up we observe them, we note them we see them changing a bit, maybe becoming more intense or getting weaker and then at one stage that feeling will be gone so we will see even the feelings, they are not permanent entities they are arising and disappearing, they are changing they are also of a fleeting nature <coughs> then the third group is mindfulness in regard to the states of mind and so when we speak of mind in Buddhism again this means something quite specific so we talk of the mind or sometimes we use the word (coughs) consciousness and Mind or consciousness actually consists of two different things. One part is citta, that's the Pali word for it. And the other part is the cetasikas. These are um, mental factors, mental states. So citta is the consciousness. Itself and consciousness in this meaning uh, as citta (coughs) has the is the cognizing part of it. So citta consciousness just knows the object. It cognizes there is a certain object, and then it's these mental factors the citta sikhas which have different functions to identify what this object is all about. And one of the mental factors is Vedana, like the feeling. So then the object is experienced as either pleasant, unpleasant or neutral. And so consciousness itself, citta, and mental factors, citta sikhas they always arise together they can never uh, arise independent of each other so it's not possible for only citta to arise or it's not possible that only citta sikhas arise but they are always together so the citta consciousness itself is this cognizing um, uh, part and that's quite pure and neutral. But it's the mental factors that uh, color the mind in a certain way. So, for example, when anger arises, then the mind or consciousness becomes an angry mind. Because this mental factor of anger Arises together with the citta, so then the anger colors the mind in a certain way, and so it becomes an angry mind. And when, for example, joy arises, then uh, we speak of a joyful mind. When sleepiness arises, then we speak of a sleepy mind or when the mind is distracted then we speak of a distracted mind and so awareness of the state of mind means to be aware in which way the mind or consciousness is colored is it colored by anger is it colored by loving kindness is it colored by uh, by frustration, is it colored by sleepiness and so on. And in the course of our meditation practice we'll very quickly come to see that this the state of mind changes very frequently. Sometimes the mind is happy how the practice is going, then a short while after it becomes bored and maybe then uh, something unpleasant arises and so then uh, ag- uh, becomes an angry mind. So also these mental states, the mind, consciousness is not something solid, has no real substance, but it's a fluid process changing uh, from moment to moment. And so when we have a closer look at uh mind together with its associated states then we will come to see that uh, it is changing all the time that uh, it's also impermanent and because it's always changing fleeting uh, arising and disappearing so we come to uh, come to see that they never can give us um, a lasting satisfaction. Whatever mental state (coughs) there is, if it's a pleasant one, well for the moment then it feels uh, satisfying, but the fact that it is impermanent, that it will pass away, then it reveals the unsatisfactory nature. And the fact that these uh, states of mind arise and disappear on their own accord shows that we have no absolute control over our mind, over our consciousness. Our uh, what we think uh, as control rests just on a very superficial uh <coughs> level. If you really want to exercise control the mind, or the body we come to see there is no such absolute control but things arise and pass away dependent on their causes and conditions and lastly, the last group is the mindfulness in regard to the objects of mind or mindfulness in regard to Dhammas mind objects. And to put it simply, everything that does not belong to the first three groups is included in this fourth group, in this last group. So for example, included in mind objects are the so-called hindrances. States of mind that can be hindrances for our Vipassana meditation practice and I will talk about them tomorrow night in my Dhamma talk basically these hindrances are sensual desire ill will sloth and torpor sleepiness restlessness remorse and skeptical doubt so if we do not approach them with the right attitude they can become hindrances for our meditation but dealing with them with a proper attitude then uh, they are no longer hindrances and also included in this group are like what we perceive through the senses So, uh, seeing things, seeing visible things, so seeing things, uh, belongs to this group. Or when we hear sounds, noises, so hearing uh, something belongs to this group. And likewise, smelling, tasting, touching, or thinking. So these four groups or four categories, they are only for a theoretical understanding. When we actually engage in the Vassana meditation practice, we do not have to think about to which of this group a certain object or experience belongs. So this is just for um, to give you some background knowledge but when you are meditating don't bother about uh, to which group this experience belongs be simply aware of what is happening uh, right now if it's heat in your body simply be aware that this is heat if um, there is some desire for something simply be mindful of this desire if you hear some sounds Simply be aware that you are hearing and be with that. That's enough. So again, whatever the experience is in our body, in our mind, or being experienced through the six Sense Doors, we should try to deal with uh, these experiences in an open and accepting way. So we shouldn't try to manipulate the experience, to somehow twist it in a way that it fits our likes or preferences. So not changing anything, not wanting anything to be different from the way it is right now, but accepting it, being open to it, and then look carefully and clearly things are as they are and we need to realize that and so to realize that we need mindfulness we need awareness and observe whatever comes up in our body and in the mind So if we cling to one object or if we pull the mind back to our primary object uh, because we don't want to observe uh, that nasty thought then we never will come to realize that object as it truly is. And so by paying careful attention from moment to moment to all the arising phenomena in our body and mind, we will come to see more clearly that these objects and phenomena are quite fleeting. They are changing. They come, they stay a little bit, and they go. Later on, they may come again, stay longer, and pass away again. So, we come to see there is this incessant arising and disappearance of experiences of phenomena so we come to see they are impermanent they do not last and because they are all the time changing arising and disappearing they can never give us a real and lasting satisfaction just through the mere fact that they are impermanent and as much as we want to have things in a certain way or make them last forever we don't have this control there is no mm, solid entity that can exercise mastery over these mental and physical phenomena so when our mindfulness becomes quite sharp and penetrating and concentration is quite deep when we look at these objects, at these processes or phenomena we cannot find anything substantial or we cannot find uh, a solid core of anything so we come to see the selfless nature of phenomena and so When we get this personal and direct experience of these three characteristics, then we will become free from our faulty uh, perceptions and wrong ideas about things. And eventually, when our practice is mature, then the veil that distorts our clear seeing will be completely torn and then we will be able to see things as they truly are. So let's close the Dhamma talk here. May all of you be able to see things as they really are and become completely free from all faulty perceptions. May you all attain true happiness and peace.